0: very reverently anoint my mouth to say what it is you once said in the ears of the people that they'll not be dull of hearing, but they'll hear accurately and take this to heart. All that would be listening over the internet as well, in Jesus' name. Amen. You can open your Bibles this morning to Hebrews chapter 11, verse 13. Hebrews chapter 11. Verse thirteen. The Bible says these all died in faith. These all died in faith. Talking about some Old Testament characters, the patriarchs, the Old Testament. And notice the ones that the scriptures were mentioning, the book of Hebrews is mentioning concerning the Old Testament, that they died in faith. That's the way you want to die. You know, the Bible says it's appointed unto all of us once to die, and after that, the judgment. And when you die, that's how you want to die, is in faith. Now, we're doing a series on faith versus works, and you need to understand, and I believe I made it Crystal clear last week from Scripture that we're saved by God's grace through faith in Jesus Christ apart from good works. And then we noted last week that good works will, however, always accompany true Bible faith. The good works in and of themselves do not save anyone it's the grace of God, the blood of Jesus, through faith in the Lord Jesus, through his death, burial, and resurrection, apart from any good works that we're saved, that will miss hell, make heaven. But of course, real true Bible faith will always be accompanied by good works. And uh, having said that, having laid that groundwork last week, what the Holy Spirit wants me to talk about today, titling this message A Dangerous Place to die. A dangerous place to die. You know, there are people who die with no faith in the Lord Jesus Christ whatsoever. They would be known as sinners. And they die with no faith in Jesus at all. And I think you would agree with me that that certainly, without question, unequivocally, is. A most dangerous place to die. Because those folk, when they die, they go to hell. And that is a horrible place. And they'll spend eternity in that horrible place. Dying without faith in the Lord Jesus is a dangerous place to die. But there are are also some other dangerous places to die. One would be with feigned faith. Now last week we told you what feigned faith is. It's a fake faith, a counterfeit or a dead faith. It looks like real faith. It has a confession to it just like real faith does. There's even works that this fake faith has, but it's all fake. It it, it it looks like the real thing, but it's not. And there's a lot of people that die with that feigned fake faith. And that's a dangerous place to die. There's also another dangerous place to die, and that's in a backslidden condition. A backslidden condition. I'm talking about somebody now who served God Walked with God, but they've backslid. And they're not serving God. They're not attending church regularly. That's a dangerous place to die. There's also another dangerous place to die. And that's people that come to church regularly. Serve in the church. Pay tithes and give offerings. But yet, they have a lifestyle of practicing sin, even while they attend church and do good works within and around the church. Yet a lifestyle of practicing sin. That's a dangerous place to die. I want to deal with people today who walk with God, backslid, or perhaps they're still active in church. Or they were active in church, but yet they had a lifestyle of practicing sin. Uh, In Matthew, the seventh chapter, let's turn there. Matthew 7, verse 21. Matthew 7, verse 21, Jesus is speaking and he says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonderful works in your name? And then I'll declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice sin. Now, we've read this several times over the last couple of weeks. For some reason, the Holy Spirit has me on these verses. But here you have a people With a feigned faith, a fake faith, it looks like the real thing. Notice they're calling Jesus Lord, declaring him as Lord. Out of their mouths, declaring him as Lord. And they have good works about him. Prophesied in his name, cast out demons in his name, done many wonderful works in his name. yet Jesus says to them, I never knew you in the day of judgment these people had already died and, and 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 they're proclaiming their case we called you lord we did wonderful works but he said i never knew you which would indicate to me that they never tapped into the saving power the saving grace of the lord jesus christ though they had a confession though they had good works about them but he said i never knew you a dangerous place to die it's interesting that these people proclaimed their good works and the fact that they called Jesus Lord, yet Jesus saw their sinful lifestyle. We must understand there's a difference between good works and sin. I, I, I want to say that again. These people proclaimed their good works and the fact that they called Jesus Lord, yet Jesus saw their sinful lifestyles. How do you tell when... Someone, including yourself, has this feigned, this fake faith. How do you tell? Well, it's very simple. The fake faith will call Jesus Lord. The The fake faith will have good works. But here's how you tell. The fake faith, there'll be a lifestyle of practicing sin. Now, how many of you would agree with me? Everybody messes up. I'm talking Christians. Everybody goofs up. Everybody messes up. The Bible says in first John that if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. I'm not talking about messing up and blundering. But what I am talking about here is a lifestyle of practicing sin. And when that fake faith is present, there'll be a confession. Lord, Lord, there may even be good works. But if there's a lifestyle of practicing sin, then you have the fake faith, the feigned faith. And that person hasn't tapped into the saving grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. These people were proclaiming their good works. Jesus saw their sinful lifestyles. And realize, realize this, there is a difference, as I said, between good works and sin. Uh, listen to this. Let me give you some examples. Serving as a volunteer in church is a good work. Gossiping about a fellow church member is sin. Giving money to the poor is a good work. Adultery, fornication, homosexuality are sin. Listen to this statement. I'd write it down and chew on it like I have for many years. A lifestyle of good works can't get you into heaven. But a lifestyle of practicing sin can keep you out. Now that may play with your theological minds just a little bit. It may kick over some sacred cows, so to speak. But it's a statement that I think deserves our full attention and consideration. A lifestyle of good works cannot open the doors of heaven for you. Only the blood of Jesus and The saving grace of God through Christ can do that. A lifestyle of good works cannot get you into heaven, but a lifestyle of practicing sin can keep you out. I want to look at some people today, the Old Testament and the New, that walked with God and then fell away from him or got off into sin. And the question that we're asking is, what would have happened to them had they died while they were in that sin? Some of which never repented. Let's look at some of these. Just sit and listen to this. Samson. you all remember Samson from the Old Testament? The Hercules of the Old Testament? The strong man of the Old Testament? And the Bible says that When he was born as a a child, the Lord blessed him. He had the blessing of God upon his life as a young child. The Spirit of the Lord began to move him when he was very young and the Spirit of God would come upon him. And he was a judge of Israel and he judged Israel for some 20 years. and, And there's no question in my mind that Samson deeply loved the Lord. But as you look into his life, and I'll not take the time to do it this morning, I'll just give you the overview of his life. But Samson was an alcoholic. He had problem, problems with alcohol and problems with getting drunk. Samson was addicted to sexual sin. And he frequented prostitutes. Also, you could look at his life and see that he made light of his calling and didn't really take his assignment from God as seriously as he should. He loved the Lord. And and he did what, you know, God put him here to do as you study into his life. He, He was doing that, but along with him serving God and walking with God and loving the Lord, he also was struggling with alcohol, sexual sin, and so on. And he toyed and played with sin for quite a long time. Year after year after year, he toyed with it. He played with it with sin, with alcohol, getting drunk, sexual sin, and so on. And he got into a relationship with a woman named Delilah, a prostitute. And she began to ask him questions about his strength and and he he, he riddled with her and so on and so forth. And finally, he told her the secret of his strength. You see, a lot of people think that. It was the long hair that made Samson strong, but it wasn't the long hair that made him strong. The long hair needed to be there as a requirement for the spirit of the Lord to come upon him. And when the hair was cut, the Bible says, and listen to this, said that when he awoke, he was in a, I believe no doubt when she was cutting his hair, he was in a drunken stupor and he came out of that. And, and she said, the Philistines are upon you, Samson. And the Bible says that he got up because, you see, if you study the story, uh, he, he, he was lying to her and toying around with his calling and the anointing. And, 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 but that anointing stayed with him year after year after year. That anointing stayed with Aren't you glad that the Holy Ghost doesn't leave us when we mess up? But but he toyed with it. Listen to the rest of the story, though. Don't shut off right there. He toyed with sin. He toyed with it. He toyed with it. I'm talking about Samson. He toyed with it. He toyed with it. He toyed with it. And, and that, that third. I believe it was the third time after she cut his hair and he came out of that, what I believe was a drunken stupor. She said, the, the Philistines are on you, Samson. And, and, and he, he went out to battle with him like he had done in the past. Because, you see, all those years, the Spirit of God, through all the sin that he had in his life, the Spirit of God stayed on him. The Philistines are on you, Samson, and he rose up to go out like he had gone out before. And the Bible says something that I think we should give our full attention to. It says this, the Spirit of God had departed from him, and he didn't even realize it. He didn't even realize it, but the Spirit of God departed from him, and he didn't even realize it. And as a result, the enemy came in, the Philistines came in, and they took him captive and they gouged out his eyes. Do y'all remember that? And they put him as a grinder in the devil's prison at the mill. Now, as the story goes, as the story goes... The Bible says that in the process of time, the hair of his head began to grow again after it had been shaven. And we see that the Philistines put him there in that temple and they asked him to perform. They didn't just ask him to perform. They made him perform and he was up there and the devil was making sport of this man of God. And Samson said to the young child, said, you know, put my arm on either pillar. Remember that? And he cried out to God and he said, oh God, let my strength return to me this one more time. Oh, and God's a good God. Samson repented and the power of God came on him and he pushed those pillars over. Died young. Not the perfect will of God by any means. Point of this message is, is that Samson, the spirit of the Lord departed from him, but he repented and the spirit of the Lord came back on him. He went on and he died one day down the road. Well, actually not down the road. He died that day. Realize I say that day because the. He, remember the columns were pushed and the whole temple fell and the Bible says he killed more Philistines in his death than he did in his life and Samson died that day. But he repented before he died, didn't he? The Spirit of God came back on him before he died. Is that wonderful? But here's the point, here's the, here's the crux of this message today. What if he had died... Before he had repented. And all I can tell you after years and years and years of study. Is what the Spirit of God finally answered this question for me after some 30 years of pondering it. For I've talked to scholars Bible scholars and and people far smarter than me all kinds of preachers everybody you can imagine I've asked this question what 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 if somebody that's walked with God what if they get off and they get into what we would think of as grievous sin and and, and what if they died in that state what would happen to them would they go to heaven would they go to hell they they serve God they walk with God but they they, they, they have this sin in their life that, that 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 they were caught up in and and and, and and, and and I've asked people and, and, and people that's been in the ministry years and years and years longer than me. And, and I've asked, what would happen to them if they would have died in this condition? Would they go to heaven or would they go to hell? And not one of them has been able to give me an answer. The Spirit of God finally answered the question some weeks ago. It's not the answer that I even wanted. It's not as precise as I would like, but here is the answer. There's a dangerous place to die. That's what the Spirit of God said to me. There's a dangerous place to die. What would have happened to Samson had he died before he repented? There's a dangerous place to die. We look at King Solomon. How many remember King Solomon? Does anybody remember him? And there was a day when his heart was right with God and the Lord appeared to him and he asked for wisdom and he became next to the Lord Jesus, the wisest man to ever live upon the earth. And God used Solomon greatly. He built a temple where the power of God came in so strong after it had been built that the priest could not stand to minister because the power of God, the anointing of God was so, so mighty in that, in that place. God appeared to Solomon. Warned him to continue to walk right and live right. Which Solomon did not do. In the process of time, this great king that wrote the Proverbs. Is that right? Wisest man next to Jesus that's ever lived. And this great king that walked so closely to God, there came a day... Because of his disobedience to God, that the Bible said his wives, because you see all those wives that he had was never the will of God. His wives turned his heart after other gods, and his heart was not loyal to the Lord his God, as was the heart of his father David. Now listen to me. We're talking about a man that built this great temple for Almighty God, where the power of God, the anointing of God came in so strong that the ministers could not stand up to minister. But yet in the process of time, years later, this same king, King Solomon, because of his disobedience to God, his heart was moved away from God and he began to build temples to false gods. He would build temples for his wives, for their gods. And Solomon would go into these temples and he would bow down and worship these false gods himself. Think of that. And the Bible says, now listen very carefully, the Bible says that when Solomon was doing that, that the Lord became angry with Solomon. The Lord became angry with Solomon. Because his heart had been turned from the Lord God of Israel. The Lord became angry with him. Does the Lord get angry with people? Yes, he does. There's some prominent, and you need to listen very carefully now. There, there There's some pro, quote unquote prominent pastors, ministers in the land. And sometime in the past, they've made this statement. And they say it to sinners, and they say this: they say, "God's not mad at you." And the first time I heard them say that, it sounded good, and it. But but have you ever put something in your mouth and it just didn't? After you, it looked real good, but when you put it in there, it didn't taste just quite right. I I know I know. Last night, before I went to bed, I always take a bottle of water, set it beside my bed. And last night, I I I I. I Open that bottle up, uh, and, and I took a slug of that water, and <laughs> there was dish soap in there. Diane had washed the bottles, and had left some, well maybe I did it, I don't know. One of us, but I'm telling you what, I it looked good, and I get that water in my mouth, and, and it did, there was just something not right about it. <laughs> Because we fill our own bottles up, you know, after we drink the water, we fill them up. But they look at sinners and they say, God's not mad at you. And, and they, they have wall-to-wall people in their churches. They have some of them, I'm, I'm exaggerating, exaggerating now, but probably not too much. Some of them have 27 services on Sunday mornings, you know, 18 different campuses. Just God's not mad at you. Now that sounds good. And they'll say this, they'll say the, preacher, the preachers that stand up and, and, and tell sinners and, 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 you know, that, God, that God is angry with them and, 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 the, and they paint somebody like me out to be a, 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 a mean old meanie. But to tell a sinner God's not mad at them. When when you tell a sinner that God's not mad at them, well, if God's not, now listen to this, if God's not mad at them, why do they need to do anything? Why do they need to change? Did you hear what I just said? The statement made to a sinner that God is not mad at them is not in line with the word of God. When you say God's not mad, God is angry with them. When you tell them that God's not mad, at, see, it sounds good and it makes me look like a bad guy. But when you tell a sinner God's not mad at them, you haven't told them the truth. Because if God's not mad at them, they don't need to come to a point of reconciliation with the Lord Jesus Christ. If God's not angry with them, then they can just keep living like they're living. And that's what they do. And they'll come to those churches and, and they'll, see, they'll be made to feel comfortable, but they're never called to a point of repentance where they have to change. See, the good news, and those preachers will say, well, the good news is, I got good news for you. God's not mad at you. That's not in line. That, that right there will put people into hell. Did you hear what it just said? God is mad with the sinner. He is angry with the sinner. But I've got... The Bible says the wrath of God... Read John the third chapter sometime. It says... The 36th verse says the wrath of God abides upon the sinner. The anger of God abides upon the sinner. You can read the Bible, can't you? John 3.36. Why don't we put it on the screen? Some of you are looking at me funny. John 3.36. He who believes in the Son... Has everlasting everlasting life. And he who does not believe the son shall not see life. But the what? The what? The what? The wrath of God. That's the anger of God abides on him. That's the the words of Jesus. That's pretty clear, isn't it? Have you ever heard somebody when they got saved, they said that they felt like a two ton weight fell, fell off their chest? Have you ever heard anybody say that? Well, that's what that that's very real. And that's what that is. When somebody comes to Jesus, the wrath of God is removed from them. And it's like a two ton weight falling off your shoulders. You see, they're not just making that up. That's the truth. I felt the same way when I got saved. It was like a two ton weight came off my shoulders. What was that? It was the wrath of God. Being removed. You see, when, when a minister stands up and says that to a sinner, God's not mad at you, basically they're setting that person up for a, a, a one-way ticket right into hell. Did you hear what it just said? See, God is angry with the sinner, but I've got good news. See, the good news is, is, is well, that's the good news for you. God's not angry with you. Listen, that's not the good news. The fact of the matter is, the truth of the word of God is that that God is angry with the sinner. Here's the good news. The good news is, is that that sinner can repent and come to the Lord Jesus Christ and get saved and the wrath of God, the anger of God be removed. Can anybody say amen? This thing is so subtle. Did you hear what I just said? It's so simple. Even when I stand up here and preach it to you, there's some of you I know by the Spirit. Boy, that, that's, that doesn't sound right what the pastor's saying. God's not angry with the sinner. Well, if God's not angry with the sinner, then why do they need to change? Well, when I mess up as a Christian, God's not angry with. Yes, He is angry with you when you mess up as a Christian and you mess up. Yeah, He is. If He's not angry, angry then why do we need to repent? See, what the devil is doing is he's working overtime to, to, to get repentance and to get, to get that, to get, remove that element. And if you can remove repentance and get the, because you see, people don't want to change. People don't like to change. I don't want to change. I don't like to change. Do you? If you can get ministers standing up there telling people, you don't have to change. You just, just God, you know, he's not mad at you. That's not right. But it looks right. It, but it, real i say it's counterfeit. See, it looks right. It sounds right. It seems, right, but it isn't right. It is dangerous, and it leads people into a, a sinners into a a, a a a a a. There's no there's no need for reconciliation then. That's the whole point that Jesus went to the cross because God there wasn't peace between heaven and earth. God was angry. And so he sent Jesus to the cross. The good news is, is that a sinner can come to Christ and be saved and have the wrath of God removed. Can you say amen? But Solomon, back to him. Yeah, before I get back to him, some years ago, many, many years ago, during the Great Awakening, there was a man named Jonathan Edwards, a great minister of the gospel. He wrote a message called... Sinners in the hands of an angry God. And I read through that message the other day. And you know what? It would be good to preach those kind of messages. It is said that there was a pastor that had a church that was very complacent and lethargic. And he invited Jonathan Edwards to come in and preach this message. And he came in and he preached the message Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. You know, that doesn't really set right now real well with what's going on in the world of church. I don't think that book would sell too good right now. Right now, the books that sell are how to feel better about yourself and how to have your best day now and all that stuff. And while there's maybe some good stuff in those things, it gets us away from the, from the thing we need to walk close with God. And the only way we can do that is by living in line with the Word of God. Sinners in the hands of an angry God. He got up and he preached this message in this church. And while he was preaching, the power of God got so strong that people began to stand up and interrupt him during his message and cry out, What must I do to be saved? What must I do to be saved? Oh God, that there would be those kinds of messages going forth again from pulpits in this land. But you cannot stand up there and throw sugar cookies as a preacher to an already diabetic congregation and see anything happen. Did you hear what I just said? And that's what we have a lot of going on right now is we're throwing diabetic, we're throwing sugar cookies to an already diabetic congregation. Solomon got away from God. And he would go into these other temples and he would bow down and he would worship gods other than the God of heaven. What if he would have died when he was in that, when he was in those other temples down on his knees, worshiping those false gods? What would have happened? I'm talking about King Solomon. What would have happened to him if he had died in that state? All I can tell you is, real loud, say there's a dangerous place to die. Did Solomon repent? You could argue it either way, but I believe if you read the book of Ecclesiastes, basically that book is Solomon writing and he's basically saying in a nutshell that without God, all is vanity. And I believe you can make argument that when he penned the last verse there, I believe he says, let us hear the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments. I believe that he repented. King David, remember him, the man after God's own heart, but he got into sin, didn't he? Adultery and murder, is that right? Did David repent? Yes, we know he made heaven, no question about it. The question is, is what if he would have died in the midst of that adulterous affair that he had with Bathsheba? Or what if he would have died before he repented after he set Uriah up to be massacred on the front lines of battle? What would have happened to David if he would have died before he repented? What would have happened to him if he would have died before he repented? All I can tell you is that there's a dangerous place to die. King Saul, remember him? God chose him, though it wasn't God's best for Israel. They wanted a king. God chose Saul, and he chose him when he was humble in his own eyes. And we look at King Saul, and the Spirit of God would come on him, and he would prophesy... But yet, he became prideful and disobedient. And the Bible says that there came a time where the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul. And God wasn't talking to him anymore. I tell you what, that's a dangerous place to die. And God wasn't talking to him anymore, and so he finally went to the Witch of Endor. Remember that? And you, we could talk about that all day. I'll just give you the brief the synopsis of it that, that she called Samuel up from the dead. And Samuel essentially told Saul that tomorrow this, by tomorrow this time, or tomorrow, you and your sons will be with me. Now, what does that mean? That means he's going to die tomorrow. Now, you can argue, and we know that the next day it happened just like Samuel said, and he fell on his, Saul fell on his sword, committed suicide in, in battle. The question is, what happened to him? In those days, when people die, they went down. Now, when Christian dies, we go. When Christians die, we go up. Say praise God, but the sinner still goes down. And in those days, there was hell, the torment side, and the, the paradise. You know, hell still exists today, torment side. But did you know we know Sam, Samuel, the prophet of God, was on the paradise side. But what about what about Saul? Where did he go? Samuel said he'd be. He told him you'll be with me tomorrow. What does that mean? Does that mean that Saul will be with Samuel in the paradise side? Or will it mean mean that Saul will be among the dead on the torment side? I don't know. All I can tell you is realize, say, there's a dangerous place to die. There's a dangerous place to die. I wouldn't want to die that way. We could go on and on. King Uzziah. Remember Uzziah? He sought God. And the power of God came on him and God made him strong and lifted him up. But as he got older, older in life, some 52 years after he became king, his heart was lifted up to his destruction. And the priest came in to warn him because he didn't want to be king anymore. He wanted to be priest. And that's not what God called him to do. And his heart was lifted up and, and the priest came in to warn him. Aren't you glad that God warns us when we get off? And, and, but, but the Bible says that Uzziah became angry and he wouldn't listen to what the priests were saying. He wouldn't listen to the men of God. He, became, he was stubborn and hard-headed. And, and the Bible says that he, he was smitten with leprosy and he was cut off from the house of God. And the Bible goes on to say that he dwelt the rest of his life in a, in a separated house, a house separated from the house of God. And, and, and it's clear that the time came... But he died in the year that King Uzziah died, Isaiah, you know, he saw the Lord high and lifted up. But when Uzziah died, where did he go? Did he go to the paradise side uh, of the underworld or did he go into the side of torment? I, I, I don't know, but I do know this. He, he was cut off from the house of God and he never repented. You know how I know that he never repented? Because if he have repented, God would have received him back. But he was cut off the rest of his life. If he died, when he died, where did he go? I don't know, but realize, say this, say there's a dangerous place to die. Jonah the word of the Lord came to Jonah the son of Amittai say rise go to Nineveh remember that did Jonah obey God or disobey God he disobeyed him and he wound up in the belly of the fish in the process of time is that right is that right yes it is right but we know the story that from the belly of the fish after three days he repented didn't he repent after three days and the fish vomited him out on dry ground and then he went and did what God told him to do here's the question here's the crux of this whole message what if Jonah would have died in the belly of the fish before he repented. Would he have gone to the paradise side or would he have gone to the torment side? Much argument could be made and has been made. But if he had died in the belly of the fish before he repented, all I can tell you is that there's a what? There's a dangerous place to die. Now, thank God he repented. We could talk about Balaam. Remember Balaam? How many remembers him? And there's an argument in Scripture. Was he a prophet of God or was he a soothsayer? Was he a minister of the devil? Was he a prophet of God or was he of the devil? Argue on either side. But I've come to conclude that Balaam was a prophet of God. He gave some of the most accurate prophecies concerning Israel in all the Bible. But he had a problem in his life and it was greed and money. And, and, and so much so that he told King Balak how to win victory over the children of God, just get them to sin it all came down to money and his greed and his love for money you know you, you know as well as I do there, there's a lot of television ministry and you can look at it but I would recommend that you don't but they're always on there promising you things outside the word of God if you'll send in this if you'll give this if you'll give that if you'll give in this offering and they've got a problem with money they're no different than uh, uh, Balaam and a lot of those people they, they start out men and women of God with a, with a powerful calling upon their life and, and anointing upon their life but I'm telling you money will do strange things to people. All you have to do to find that out is have a rich relative die sometime. Huh? And you'll see that that person that you thought was your friend will get the dagger out and start stabbing you in the back for a few dollars. Is that right? And and preachers are no different. There's something about money, something about about greed. And, And so Balaam had a problem with money. And I have no, in the Bible, in the New Testament, I'm talking about a prophet of God that prophesied accurately. But we get him, we see it in the New Testament, has nothing good to say about the man. Where did he go? Did he go to hell? I don't know. Could a prophet of God wind up in hell? All I can tell you is what the Holy Ghost told me. There's a what? There's a what? There's a dangerous place to die. Judas. How many remembers Judas. And he walked with with Jesus, our Lord and Savior, for some three and a half years, give or take. He walked with the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen to me. Judas walked. Listen to me. Judas walked with Jesus. And the Bible says he had part of that ministry. And we know, there's no question, there's no Bible scholar that doubts. Jesus said that it would be better that Judas had never been born. And what do we conclude? There's no doubt that where did he go when he died? He went to hell. And he died in a dangerous place. But yet we have Peter. How many remembers Peter? Now, Judas sold Jesus out for 30 pieces of silver. Judas, the Bible says, Judas, that he never did repent. He regretted what he did, but he never repented. Did you know there's a difference between repentance and regret? Regret is just, I'm sorry I got caught. Repentance is like what David did when when, when the prophet came in and said, you're the man. What did David do, King David? He, He said, Lord, against you and you only have I sinned. And he repented and God received him back. Is that right? Judas had a regret. But Peter, do you know what Peter did? Well, he cussed. Yeah, that's bad enough. But you know what he did? He denied the Lord. And he not only denied the Lord once, but how many times did he deny the Lord? Three times. And you would say, well, he's committed the unpardonable sin. But yet we see that Peter went out and he wept bitterly, and did not Jesus receive him back? Now we know that Judas died without repenting. We know he went to hell. But Peter, thank God he repented. But my question to you today is what would have happened to Peter if he would have died before he went out and wept bitterly? What would have happened to him? There's a what? There's a what? Oh, there's a dangerous place to die. Thank God he repented. He didn't commit the unpardonable sin. What is the unpardonable sin? The Bible says two things very quickly about it. Jesus said, blasphemy against the Holy Ghost is the unpardonable sin. And then also you can go to the book of Hebrews and you can see that when a mature Christian And seven out of ten Christians that I've met over the years have not matured much out of babyhood. Baby Christian can't commit the unpardonable sin, but someone that has grown in the things of God. And they get to a point where they full full well knowing what they're doing, turn their back, spit in the Lord Jesus' face, account the blood of the covenant wherewith they were sanctified an unholy thing and stomp on the blood of Jesus. That person then commits the unpardonable sin. I don't know anybody in here in this room, and I've never met anybody in my life that if the blood of Jesus was up here, then anybody would come up and start stomping on it. But that's the kind of person that commits the has committed the unpardonable sin. If you're worried that you've committed it, I'm I'm, I'm satisfied that you haven't. But Peter denied Jesus how many times? Did he repent? But what if he'd have died before he repented? There's a what? Let me go on just a few more moments. There was a young boy Jesus talked about that came to his dad and said, Dad, give me all what's mine. I'm going my way. Remember, he would be known as the prodigal son in the process of time. He went among harlots. and He wound up in a pig pen. Is that right? Now we know the story, he repented, he came to his senses, he repented, he came back. Is God, a good God. Now, I'm convinced that this young boy's dad was not pleased with the young boy when he left, but he was looking for him long before he ever showed up, coming back. Is that right? The boy was in the pig pen, he came back, and did the father receive him back? Yes, that's a picture of our loving Heavenly Father. But that young boy had to decide to leave the pig pen. Is that right? There's a lot of people, that, that sinners that are called into churches, but they're never called out of the pig pen. Boy, that just came out by the Holy Ghost. I tell you what, if we're going to walk with God, we've got to come out of the pig pen. Is that right? I said, can you say amen? You don't bring the pig pen into the house of God. The house of God shouldn't look like the world. We don't need to become like the world to win sinners. Let's have the anointing of God. What do you say? But this young boy in the pig pen came to his senses, came back, father received him back. Here's the question. What if the boy would have died while he was in the pig pen out from the father's house? And I realize you can't base doctrine on parables, but I tell you what, this is pretty solid here. When the father himself said, when the son repented, he said to the brother, remember the older brother, you know, he was, but here's the deal. He might have had more problems than the kid that left home, but here's the deal. The father said, my son, he said, let's rejoice. He's back because he said, my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost. And now he's what found by the father's own words. If that young boy would have died in the pig pen, it's a what? There's a what? There's a what? There's a there's a there's a what? There's a dangerous place to die. Backslider. You die in a backslidden condition. You once came to church in the house of God, walk with God, and you slide away, and you start backing into the world and living in the world, and you die in that condition? What's going to happen? You go to heaven or hell. All I can tell you is there's a dangerous place to die. There was a man in the church in Corinth. He was in the church. Corinth was a place of sexual immorality. But Paul made it clear that when you came to Jesus and you came into the church, you come out. The Bible says, come out from among them and be ye separate, say the Lord, and I'll receive you and I'll be a father to you and you'll be my child. Is that right? And when they came out of that place of Corinth, a place of sexual immorality, when they came into the church, they had to lay down their sexual immorality. Did you hear that? And there was a man in that church that was in regular attendance in that church. Listen to me now. That was in regular attendance in that church in Corinth. You can read this in 1 Corinthians, the fifth chapter. but But just listen, read it later. And he was in that church and he was having sexual relations with his stepmother. That's pretty bad, isn't it? And as you study into that story a little bit further, you'll see that the pastor and the leadership of the church knew about it. And they didn't do anything. And they were really prideful about it and puffed up about it, and they didn't do anything about it. And when the Apostle Paul got revelation of it, he rebuked the leadership and he said, You should be mourning and you should be be, be taking this seriously. Sin is serious, dear friends. I said, Sin is serious, dear friends. And he said, you should be taking this serious and you're proud and puffed up. You should be filled with grief and sorrow and so on and so forth. And he rebuked the leadership. And then he told him to do something that I don't think you'd hear much of in this hour. He said, deliver that man to Satan for the destruction of his flesh, that his spirit may yet be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. Now, here we have a man coming to church in regular church attendance, going to church, active in the church, and he's, and he's, and he's in sexual sin. And I've asked this question of so many scholars, nobody's ever been able to answer me. And I said, what if this man would have died? Because we know this man repented. Say praise God. He repented. Could you read 2 Corinthians? See, he repented. And when he repented, the Apostle Paul said, actually the leadership was being too hard on him then. And then Paul said, hey, lighten up. He's repented. Let him back in. Do you understand that? But what if this? Man would have died before he repented. And I've asked this to all kinds of people. Nobody can answer me the question, what do you want to heaven or what do you want to hell? All I can tell you is what the Holy Ghost said to me, there's a what? There's a dangerous place to die. And I'll conclude by telling you the story of Ananias and Sapphira. A couple that attended the church there. The apostles were in the church a husband and a wife and they sold a piece of ground and they had the money from it and it was all theirs and God didn't while it was under their control it's very clear they, you know, we need to be tithers and givers you understand that but they came in and first Ananias and then three hours later his wife Sapphira and they came in and Peter was there under the anointing of God and he comes in and they were being hypocritical about an offering we need to be real watchful how we handle the ties and offerings of God you need to be real watchful how you handle them in approaching the, the, the house of God to release them and we need to be real careful how we handle them once they've been received. Did you hear what I just said? and he came in and Peter word of knowledge went into operation and he questioned him about it and Ananias lied to the man of God under the anointing of God. And Ananias dropped dead in that church service. Three hours later, his wife came in. Because, see, he dropped dead and the young boy said, the young boys took him out, went out and buried him. And by the time they got back, his wife had come. Peter asked her basically the same question. And she lied just like her husband lied because they were in on it together, conspiring hypocritically. And he lied. She lied. And she falls dead three, and a, three hours later. She falls dead. And the guys get back from burying Ananias. Now they've got to go bury his wife. Here's the question. Where did Ananias and Sapphira go? They were church members. They came to church. They attended church. They were apparently tithers, givers to whatever degree. They came with an offering. They were lying about it. They died in church. Where did they go? Did they go to heaven? Did they go to hell? Something I've pondered since I was a young, young boy. I've never been able to get a good, solid answer on it. But I can tell you what the Holy Ghost said to me. There's a what? There's a dangerous place to die. Some argue that those who practice sin, I'm closing now. Some argue that those who practice sin were never really saved to begin with. Some argue unconditional eternal security, also known as once saved, always saved. Others argue that we are under grace so we can live sinful lives and it doesn't really matter. When that was posed to Paul, who penned much of the message on grace, if not all of it, uh, they, they said, Paul, you're just giving people a license to sin. Because what they were saying, they're saying that they, they, they told lies about Paul. And they said that he was getting up and he was saying that, hey, the grace of God is so wonderful that you can go ahead and sin and it'll just make the grace of God more abundant. You know what Paul said to that? He said, realize that God forbid. God forbid. See, the grace of God is not there so that we can sin it up. The grace of God is there so that we can be forgiven and be empowered not to sin. Can anybody say Amen. But some argue that we're under grace so we can live sinful lives and it doesn't really matter, God forbid. See, many arguments can be made on the subject of how secure we are with sin in our lives. Many arguments can be made on the subject of how secure we are with sin in our lives, all of which leave us with somewhat vague conclusions. And I've come to decide that God left it vague on purpose. Why did he do that? because he doesn't want anybody to be able to draw a line and say well I can live just this far away from God and still make heaven I can I can he doesn't want any of us to be able to say well there's the line and I can do this sin this sin that sin this sin and this sin but as long as I go right up to that line and don't go over it then then I'll be, I'll be okay. See, God doesn't want that line to exist. That's why He's left it vague. And all He's left me with is to tell you that there's a what? There's a dangerous place to die. You see, I believe that salvation is by grace, just so that nobody leaves here without, without hope. And I don't want anybody to think that, that, that you have to be perfect because I believe that salvation is by grace through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ apart from good works. And that as a result, there will be good works and all of that. We, we've said that. And I believe that Christians miss it. How many has missed it this last week besides me? Did you ever notice that verse in First John says that? How, how many of you, you know that it says right there? Why don't we go there? First John 1, 8. Come on, guys. Let's get what the Holy Ghost is saying right before I let you go. We're just about done. First John 1 John eight. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Now, but the next verse, good news. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Is that wonderful how those two verses sit right back to back? So I'm leaving you with this. Let's just assume for a moment that, and I do believe this, I believe that if you've truly repented of your sins and you've asked the Lord Jesus into your heart, you truly meant it with everything that's in you, I believe you got saved. I believe you got sealed into the body of Christ and I believe that you're going to heaven. Yeah, but pastor, what if I, what if I, what if I miss it? What if I get in? What if I, well, there's a dangerous place to die. But I want to leave you with this thought. Something that's also will raise the hair up on the back of your neck. There's something known as the judgment seat of Christ. Have you ever heard about that? See, there's a great white throne judgment. That's for people that reject Jesus. And those people go to hell after that. But there's something known as the judgment seat of Christ. And it's for Christians. And the Bible says that we must all as Christians appear before the judgment seat of Christ to receive the things done in our body according to what we have done, whether good or bad. I tell you what, when we sin, that's a bad thing, isn't it? And if we don't repent of our sins and we die, it's a, there's dangerous places to die. But if, we're really, if we die and we've really placed our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, I tell you what, it's appointed unto men once to die. But after this, you've got the judgment seat of Christ. And the Bible talks about the judgment seat of Christ. And it's where Christians' works will be judged, whether good or bad. And the Bible says about the judgment seat of Christ, knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. Did you know at the judgment seat of Christ, the Bible's clear that no foundation can any man lay than that which is laid, which is Christ Jesus. When you accept Jesus, you're on that foundation and you're going to heaven. But I tell you what, there's going to come a day when you're going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ and He's going to judge you. He's going to judge me. And He's going to ask you, why did you do what you did when you did it? He's going to talk to you about your church attendance. He's going to talk to you about your tithing and giving. He's going to talk to you about your tongue. He's going to talk to you about your sexual life. He's going to talk to you about your faithfulness to your wife. He's going to talk to you about your faithfulness to your husband. He's going to talk to you how you treated your parents. He's going to talk to you how you treated your children. He's going to talk to you about a whole bunch of things and he's going to talk to me too. And I not only get talked to about my personal life, but then he's going to talk to me about what I taught you from this pulpit. And the Bible says that it's going to be a terrifying thing. Why? Because the fire of God is going to judge our works of what sort they are. Talking to Christians that are going to make heaven. And the Bible says that many will receive reward, but many works will be burned. And the Bible says that there will be many Christians that will suffer loss, but they themselves will be saved. Yet so is through the fire. That's why the pulpit down here on earth needs to be full of the fire of God.